0: men. My brother asked me once, he said, you know that sound that a woman makes when she's completely sexually satisfied? I said, no. He paused for a minute and said, I didn't think you would. We laugh about sex. We talk about sex. Interestingly, we talk about sex typically with other people that we're not really having serious conversations with. In other words, when people honestly need to talk to someone that matters about sex, they typically don't. So can you have great sex all of your life, or is it just going to be so-so? Well, the research actually varies. You understand that there are great sexologists out there who do all kinds of research, such as Dr. Barry McCarthy out of Washington, D.C., who is an amazing man and a great educator as well as researcher when it comes to sex. And he said, Joe, you need to help people understand that even in the best of marriages, most of the time, sex is just going to be so-so. On the other hand, you have studies from Peggy Kleinpat. She's a researcher up in Canada and some of her colleagues. And they published those research articles in magazines. And these are scholarly magazines, such as the Family Journal of Counseling and Therapy for Couples and Families and in uh, the Canadian Journal of Human Sexuality. And these are relatively recent studies, 2007 and 2009. And what Peggy and some of her colleagues did, they asked people, when you've had great sex, how is it different than just having sex or even having good sex? I'm going to be sharing the answers with you tonight. I'm going to tell you what they are. As a matter of fact, not just that, but as we get a later into the program, I'm going to offer you a free download. I'm going to tell you where the link is. You can get it. A little document I put together for you that kind of gives you five steps. And we're going to be talking about eight things here but I'm going to wind up by giving you that document. If you wish it, I'm going to tell you how to get it absolutely free. And these five steps will help lead you into a better sex life. Now you understand that this program is called marriage radio. We call it the Dr. Joe show for short, but I work for a nonprofit called marriage helper. Therefore, when I talk about it, I talk about sex primarily in the context of marriage. Understand though, that my PhD work at the university of Sydney Australia's oldest university and consistently rated one of the top 50 universities in the world that my research there for my PhD had to do with a correlation of sexual satisfaction and marital satisfaction. Now I didn't have to prove that they were correlated. That's been proven so many times in so many studies that there is a direct correlation between the level of marital satisfaction you have and sexual satisfaction you have. But in doing that, I learned a whole lot about sex. So I now refer to myself because I've learned so much about it, my doctoral work as a Christian sexologist. now don't freak out if you're not a Christian listening to this, what they should actually say to you is this guy's going to have at least some kind of morals and standards here. So he may not tell us the craziest things in the world. And yet I meant to go ahead and say that those people who are religious may, by the time we get a little further into the program go do what, what did you say? I teach human sexuality at a university here in Nashville, Tennessee, well, a very, very good school, highly rated in many ways, and I every semester teach a class primarily of juniors and seniors on human sexuality. So understand, I'm going to be talking about it from an academic standpoint, a research standpoint, but more than anything else, because of the fact that I've worked with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of couples, a practical aspect. So let's get to it. What is it that makes sex great? Well, it's not just having sex. I mean, having sex could be pleasurable, but sometimes sex can also be routine. And believe it or not, it's not the difference in whether or not you have an orgasm. As a matter of fact, if your purpose in having sex is just to have an orgasm, you're missing out on a whole lot. You see, sometimes people say, well, wouldn't it be that if people have been together for a period of time that they start to get bored with each other and the sex becomes more mundane? And the answer to that is, yes, that happens. It's actually called sexual habituation, and typically any couple that's been making love to each other for two years or more will get into sexual habituation, which means they have seen everything there is to see. They know what the other person's going to say. They're going to wind up doing pretty well the same things each time, and in that process, they can become sexually bored. But does it have to be that way? And the answer is no. And if you say, well, then, you know, if you wanted to have the greatest sex, then would you say, then maybe you just continue to have new partners. And the answer to that's not always going to work either. As a matter of fact, often the first encounter between two people, particularly if they don't know each other very well, can be quite awkward because of the fact that he's not quite sure what she wants or likes. He, she's not quite sure about him. And as you get into all those things, then it can be not quite as fulfilling as one would expect. On the other hand, Sometimes just one sexual encounter with another person can be quite ecstatic. And then people go chasing that the rest of their lives, thinking I'm going to find that again. Like a lady who told me that on a cruise ship, she had met a man. And one evening they were out walking the deck in the moonlight and he pulled her into a little dark area. And then she didn't go into great descriptors, but she told me what he did to her. And she said it was the most amazing orgasm I've ever had, and I want that again. That's what I'm looking for, to which I replied, you're never going to find it. It's like somebody taking your first hit of meth. They're going to spend the rest of their lives trying to have that again, and it's not going to occur. But you can still have great sex, even if you've married to each other for 50 years. All right, how? Well, maybe I need to go ahead and tell you How? (laughs) A little mood music there. <laughs> here's what Klein-Patz and her friends, klein platts let me pronounce Peggy's name correctly. She says, here's one of the components, one of the major components that makes sex great. And there's a difference between great sex and good sex, and that's this. It's being present, focused, and embodied during a sexual encounter. You say, what does it mean? It, she, I'm quoting her now. She said participants pointed out almost universally that whereas other kinds of sexual interaction may be physically satisfying and emotionally fulfilling, this quality of being entirely alive in their bodies with no mental interference was the hallmark of great sex. It, it's a sense of being utterly alive, with intensely focused attention and being totally absorbed in the moment. That took out. Letting themselves go so they could surrender to the bodily experience itself. And interestingly, quite a few people, as a matter of fact, it appears the majority, just don't do that. You you say, what? No, they just don't do that. There's a thing actually in sexology called uh, spectatoring. Spectatoring is when you're kind of monitoring yourself. It's almost like, you know, your body's in the bed making love to your spouse there, and you're kind of hovering over looking at it, wondering, am I doing good? Do I look good enough? Am I pretty? Uh, am, am I fulfilling him? Am I fulfilling her? All those kinds of things. And, and as you do that, then you cannot completely immerse yourself into the sexual act. Or sometimes, and this seems to be more common with women than men, she can't really completely let herself go because of the timing of when they're making love or because of the location of where they're making love. So, for example, if they've got a toddler sleeping in the very next room and she's afraid that, that he's not fully asleep yet and may come into the room, then she'll often have a very difficult time in completely letting go. Or if he's stressing about what's going to be happening tomorrow at work and is he going to get that report in on time? You see... This component here says when you're going to have great sex, and I mean great sex, you have to focus on your own sensational pleasure. And in a few minutes, when I give you that link for that free document that you can download, it's actually going to be giving you something called a sensate focus exercise exercise. They can help you learn how to actually get more pleasure from the sensations of your own body. Now, if I'm starting off in, in people who are, you know, religious or people who are much in love with their spouse I'm saying, but no, 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 no. The first thing, the first thing should be my concentrating on my spouse and his pleasure, or her pleasure, not my own. No, no. Trust me. The first thing is to concentrate on your own pleasure to the point where you can. Be present. You're there. You're not thinking about something else. You're not worrying about something else. Now, I'm going to be talking more about this in a few minutes, but this is going to involve accepting yourself as you are. I have many husbands tell me, I think my wife is beautiful, but she won't let me see her without her clothes on because she doesn't think she's pretty anymore. She's gained a little weight or she's gotten a little older. We're talking about here, if you're going to have this first thing of being present, it means that you are not inhibited. You're letting go. You are actually enjoying every bit of the sensation of that. Now, for you religious people who are thinking, well, can a Christian do that? I mean, isn't there something sinful about that? No, no. You religious people, and I am a Christian, you religious people should understand that you should be having more pleasure with sex than anybody. God made this body. God gave it the sensations that they have. Sometimes read the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, as it's sometimes called in the Old Testament. You'll have a little difficulty understanding it because it's written in the idiom of the day, but it's a very erotic book. So major component number one, be present, focused, and embodied. Major component number two, she calls it connection, alignment, merger, being in sync with each other during a sexual encounter. She quoted some of the people that she had asked questions about this. One person says inside my body, I'm the other person's body, and we're just kind of all together at that moment. Somebody else said, it's just a loss of personal boundaries, a distinct loss of self-awareness and the sense of separateness from the other. Participants spoke of trust and cherishing one another and sharing and accepting and validating and feeling as much desired as desiring. They described an easy ebb and flow between giving and receiving, Stimulation and pleasure. Being centered in themselves and feeling respect from the partner allow participants to expand the limits of previous comfort zones. You say, what does that mean? It means you really got to connect to each other and not think about you as being two different people or just happening to have an encounter. Where, if you'll allow me to use a little biblical language, here, you become... One flesh, where you blend into each other and you enjoy the fact that you're giving each other pleasure and that you're receiving pleasure from the other person. And, and when it talks about a loss of personal boundaries, what's being said there is it's not like this is my body and that's your body. This is our body together. Now, that's whether you're having intercourse face to face, intercourse from a different uh, angle, like he is behind her. Um, inserting his penis into her vagina, for example, or whether they're doing something that has to do with their hands or their mouths or their tongues. It's a matter of we really want to come into this alignment. We're insert and merger with each other. We in sync with each other. I'm enjoying my pleasure so much that I'm also enjoying pleasuring you, thoroughly enjoying pleasuring you, which brings us into this great sync Situation, And so then here's another deep sexual and erotic intimacy other than when a sexual encounter with each other. You say what? Okay. When I teach my students human sexuality every semester, I teach them this. I, I say it again and again all semester. I say understand that everything that happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom and everything that happens inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. May I say that again? Everything that happens inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. Everything that happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom. And what they found here is that if not just when you're having sex, because sometimes we'll hear people say, the only time I feel like my spouse really cares about me is when he wants to make love to me. The only time he seems to be nice to me is when he wants to be love to me. So he's grouchy or he's commanding and controlling or he's absent. He doesn't seem to be here at all for anything. But when he wants that sex, then I get all kinds of attention. Or a man, not as often as women, of course, but a man might say that about his wife. And this is saying, no, 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 that's not how to have great sex because you're just having sex then. And surely you're picking up on the fact that great sex, great sex has to do with two people actually merging into each other. And so here, when we talk about this deep sexual and erotic intimacy, when you're not making love to each other, that means the relationship has to include deep mutual respect, caring, genuine acceptance and admiration of each other. And, And as Kleinplatz wrote, one of the key characteristics of this type of intimacy was a deep sense of caring for one's partner. And almost everybody they interviewed, she said, identified a deep and penetrating sense of trust as characteristic of the intimacy that was part of the great sex for them. You say, what what does that mean? Well, getting to know the other person, I mean, really well. That is not just their body, but their emotions, and particularly in terms of erotic desires, having access to the other person's inner world, <laughs> how he thinks, how he feels, how she feels, how she thinks, emotional and sexual generosity, giving themselves and each other permission to indulge as well as to be indulgent. Now, best friends, is what we're talking about here. And no matter what else happens, it makes intimacy develop so that the encounter, the sexual encounter is exponentially better. You say, what are you talking about? Well, Let's say you're riding down the highway together and you're going on a trip somewhere. You've got a little while to talk. You're not making love to each other. You're not trying to have sex in the car while you're driving down the interstate at 75 miles an hour, but you're talking and you're talking openly about everything. And so you can share your emotions about what you feel about life, what you wanted to be, when you grow, when you grew up, how you feel about what you became instead, what you wish you could accomplish before you leave this planet I mean, just be open and honest and share your emotions about your frustrations. Here are the things about me that I wish I could change. Here are the things about me I like. On and on it goes. And the other person having the same ability, just being open and transparent and vulnerable and talking about just anything. Like one guy told me years ago, she and I rode seven hours to where we were going to have vacation. We drove and we were ending the conversation when we got there that we started when we got in the car. And as part of that, Sometimes then you're going to be very open about sex, about the things that you've wanted to do that you haven't. There was an interesting study a few years back. It was done uh, studying ministers of a particular denomination. The denomination was unnamed, which was the right thing to do in a study like this. But this particular denomination only had male ministers, no female ministers. And so the survey done for a doctoral dissertation was basically tell us about your experience with pornography. Now, the older guys were incensed that they were even asked such a question, how dare you? The younger guys tend to be honest. And for those who did use porn, they found basically three reasons. One was just basically, uh, I want to learn how to do something that But lack of a better word, we'll call that educational. I want to know how to do this. And so I'm watching that to discover that. That's one of the reasons that people did it. Another was because of the fact that uh, they were kind of experiencing it through this other person. It's called vicarious. You say, what do you mean? It means that uh, I'm afraid that if I ask my wife to do this, she would think I'm not a godly man. She'd say something terrible about me or to me, and therefore I can never tell her that I really want to do this. And so I do, and therefore I vicariously fulfill it by watching other people do it in pornography. Now I think that's the saddest thing of all. You say, but but isn't it true that some wives or husbands would really look down their noses at the other person if they said they wanted to do blank, whatever blank is? And the answer to that is yes. I was actually speaking for a church back in the 1970s, and that all. Back in the 1970s in Birmingham, Alabama, and this woman who had, um, she was a handicapped person, and she had married a guy, and they were married only a few weeks, and she divorced him, and I asked her why, and she said, he's a pervert, and I said, what do you mean, and she said, he asked me for oral sex, that means he's a pervert, and so I divorced him, hmm. I'm not saying here that you have to agree with everything the other person wants. As a matter of fact, I'll do another program about that before too long about how you can decide what it is you really want to do and not do. But what we're talking about here is that you have enough transparency and openness and vulnerability that you can actually tell the other person about what you want. Now, remember, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a link. And that link is going to take you to a free download that's going to give you five exercises you can do to make your sex life a lot better. It's going to be absolutely free. I'm going to give that to you in a few minutes. But what I'm telling you right now is if you really want that to work and to work to the best degree, what you want to do is to have the kind of transparency with each other where you can talk about everything in your life openly, including your sexual desires, your sexual experiences how you feel about those experiences without the other person sitting in judgment. In other words, I'm listening. I'm trying to understand. I may not agree with that. I may not want to do that, but it's my intention to listen to you and, and to accept you anyway. And therefore, according to Kleinplatz and their study, many of the people then described an intoxicating mix of pleasure and danger to get themselves over to the power of the encounter. Participants needed the safety to be vulnerable to share their bodies, yes, but also their feelings, and therefore to take risk. Letting go of their social persona, being entirely defenseless. In other words, not trying to be a false self anymore, being just who you really are. That requires courage. It, it means trust in the partner and security in the relationship, and that's another component of great sex. Well, here's another one. Now, let's see. I'm going to try a different clip here. Maybe there's one a little easier. Maybe that one's just a little bit too erotic. I might not have to change that one. Sorry about that. All right. Here's another one. Extraordinary communication, heightened empathy. That means before, during, and after a sexual encounter. We're really going to understand each other. We're going to communicate not just verbally, but in nonverbal ways. And we're going to relate to the other person. That's what empathy means. So participants emphasize complete and total sharing of themselves, both verbally and non-verbally, with their partners before, during, and after sexual encounters. They, they believe that being able to listen, to respond, to organize information, to recognize what, when, even if you're not told, that one kind of touch elicits a certain response on your partner and another, another kind of touch doesn't, was crucial and this component of great communication. And I'll tell you again, I'm going to be giving you just a few minutes now, a link to a free download you can have that really helps you understand how to do what I just talked about. And so the people emphasize the importance of sensitivity, real listening and paying attention to the little things, the ability to communicate non-verbally, like through touching kind of things like that was treasured as a special, direct and erotic form of communication. So that if you, touched a person in this particular way, they knew what it is that you wanted. Or if you touched your partner in a particular way, then you begin to understand what it is that he or she wants, and you move that way. But listen to this. Before you can hope to communicate sexually with each other, you must first take responsibility for knowing about your own arousal. You see, many people don't seem to have a working knowledge of their own bodies or the bodies other people's bodies at the same time. Great sex requires an exquisite ability to attend and be attuned to what one finds physically stimulating as well as what is erotically exciting. You must be ready and willing to talk about sex openly, to acknowledge pleasure, to express desires. You understand why this is so hard for some people because they're afraid to admit themselves, what they feel sexually, what they want sexually they're afraid somehow that it will just open up all kinds of things. I took a class in hypnotherapy in grad school way back. I never did use it for therapy, but I did hypnotize people at parties. That was always fun. And a lady was asking me at one party before I hypnotized the people. She said, well, under hypnosis, will anybody do something they wouldn't do awake? And my response was, no, if it's in contradiction to, to your value system, you'll just wake up. To which she replied, "But what if I really do? do want to do it. I just haven't admitted to myself. Then would I do it under hypnosis? And my response was, yeah, probably so. So a lot of people are just afraid. I'm afraid to find out what I really feel. I'm afraid to find out what I really want. I'm afraid that that if I open that Pandora's box, I'm going to see that I'm not the person that I think I am. When we are afraid of ourselves, accepting ourselves as we really and truly are, we certainly are going to be afraid of accepting our partner as he or she truly is. And if you want to have this open, honest, wonderful sexual communication, it's time for you to sit down and write some things down about you, or at least start with this free download I'm going to give you in a couple of minutes. Okay, here's another major component, authenticity, being genuine, being uninhibited during your sexual encounter, and about your sexual self. So the act of being completely and genuinely oneself was an important element of great sex. They, they, the people in this study, they said they valued the freedom to be relentlessly honest with themselves and totally transparent with their sexual partners. One lady even said, sex is where you can be anything and say anything. So being completely uninhibited, unself conscious during great sex, giving yourself permission to experience pleasure, to enjoy it as completely as possible. And so don't, worry about your husbands seeing you naked ladies if he believes you're beautiful then don't let your own worries about your age your weight your beauty stop that if he wants to see you like that let him take all those boundaries away let go of yourself and be uninhibited enjoy you say really really it's the message I try to teach all across America. I've actually done a workshop or actually it's a seminar, I should say called love, sex, and marriage all across America. And I don't know how many times, particularly women have contacted me afterwards and said, you know, we went home from that and I opened up my husband sexually, like I never had before. And we had the most amazing night of sex we've ever had in our lives. Thank you for helping me overcome my own inhibitions. And all I did was teach the principles I'm teaching to you now. And so, Revel in the freedom and liberation to be completely emotionally naked with another person, meaning your husband or your wife. The emotional power of being genuine, being seen and known authentically uh, with authenticity. That's what you want. It's a great gift to the other person. One lady actually said it was just so shocking to me that I could actually express these things, and he was right there loving it. And doing it with me. Now, in order to do that, sometimes you'll be spontaneous. But only if you acknowledge the inadequacy of your existing sexual rules. Now, I do have sexual rules myself. For example, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I will not commit adultery. Those kinds of things. But choose to turn off your filters about things that you can do with each other. Okay, and here's another major component transcendence, bliss, peace, transformation, healing, all during sex. And so people who are having great sex often report a sense of timelessness during it. And then many people use religious language to describe it like, wow, we were in the presence of God. One of my counselor friends believes there's actually a reason that some people at the point of orgasm Scream out, oh, God, oh, God, she really does believe that God is involved in this. I do, too. God made it this way. God made us this way. Do you understand? And he gave the woman a part of the anatomy that (laughs) exists for one thing and one thing only, and that's to give her pleasure. And that's her clitoris. Males, the male penis, serves several purposes, but the clitoris serves one, one only, to give a woman pleasure. And God put that there for her. And so it's like, okay, I can... Open up completely. I can enjoy this. I don't have to have the constricting beliefs. You say, what do you mean? Well, we don't have time to talk about it unless some of the callers get to it that it we'll talk about in a few minutes. But we, <laughs> I get questions all around America, like from people who are religious, particularly, and I'm not putting down religious folks. I am one of them. These are my people. But is it a sin to have oral sex? Is it a sin if we play sexual games with each other? Can we make love in different parts of the house? Is it okay if we make love outside? I get all kinds of questions like that. To the last one, by the way, I said, well, if you're gonna be outside, I suggest your own backyard, that you have a fence that is not chain link, that you do it at night and that you not live next to anybody with a two story house. Then yes, fine, as long as other people aren't watching you and seeing you. Yes, go out and enjoy each other like that, have fun. I don't have time here unless somebody asks it toward the end, but I'll be glad to give you my answers about, is it okay for religious people, Christian people, particularly to have oral sex or may they and therefore play masturbate with each other? All those kinds of things. I'm just going to say for right now, here's the bottom line. And I'll be glad to give you my reasoning later. If you want anything, anything that a husband and wife want to do with each other sexually, as long as it does not involve another person, as long as it doesn't hurt either one of them physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And as long as it doesn't involve an animal, I'm sorry, but the Bible actually talks about that. It's okay. Did you get those three restrictions? No other person, nothing that hurts either of you physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and no animal. And otherwise anything you want to do with each other, you can, and you should enjoy. And so in this healing It's like worship. It's like this this great gift from God. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. And so there's more. And again, I'll I'll be giving you that link in just a few minutes. I'm getting closer to it. Another major component is exploration, interpersonal risk-taking, fun. What that means is great sex is an adventure. It's an opportunity to discover things about yourself and about your partner and a chance to pursue ever greater depths during your sexual encounters. And so, therefore, there's some risk-taking. There's some exploration, which makes it fun. And, yes, you can play. If nobody else is home and you want to play tag and run around the house, do that. Hide and seek, fine. One guy told me that his wife came home from work one day and he had turned their living room into the South Seas. He had actually blown up a raft. He had also blown up a a palm tree-looking kind of thing, and he had made some Polynesian kind of food for her, and he had a little paddle next to the raft, and he had Hawaiian music playing in the background, and put her into that raft, and they ate there together, and they pretended they were on the ocean, they played game, they had fun. And so it's an ongoing discovery process. You can discover more things about each other's bodies and that I'm going to show you how to do with this download in a few minutes and, and to have a sense of humor and laughter, not laughing at each other, obviously, but having fun. And then if you're not having fun then it's not great. <laughs> and so great sex is an opportunity for creativity and having that lighthearted attitude and ability to have fun and Play like children, not in a bad sense, you understand. That's good. One lady called in one talk show I was doing one night and said that each Valentine's Day, they took turns surprising the other and that it was coming up on Valentine's Day and that what she was planning to do for him was she was going to be dessert. She had made his favorite favorite meal and then she was going to, well, I'm not going to go into great detail like she did, but she was going to lie on a table that had to do with cherries and whipped cream and a bunch of other things like that. Just being creative. Okay, here's another one. Major component, vulnerability and surrender. In other words, giving yourself, letting yourself be vulnerable and surrendering to your partner. These are exquisite aspects of great sex. So if you're being authentic and genuine and transparent, all those kinds of things, that's kind of intra-focused. Vulnerability and surrender, involve letting go to another person and more interpersonally oriented and so here the focus is on being able to put your entire being in somebody else's hands you understand now why earlier we were saying that it is so important that you trust each other and that you have this great relationship outside the bedroom so that you're not afraid that your spouse is going to try to lead you into something that you don't want to do Inside the bedroom, and with that kind of trust, uh, trust, you let yourself go and let him on occasion and her on occasion lead. So, that in these studies, some people described surrendering control of their own bodies and reveling in the sensation of being able to go with the flow. Beyond that, being willing to go where your partner's leading. Hmm. And so, one of the primary characteristics of great sex is the willingness to surrender. All right, let me summarize all this stuff for you, okay? And then we're going to give you the link. Optimal sexual experience may involve moments of deep connection in which both lovers are psychologically and sexually accessible, engaged and responsible to whatever lies deep within you. In a context of safety and trust, lovers may risk further self and other exploration of hidden erotic potentials. Being comfortable in one's own skin is the foundation for being authentic and to be present and to be involved in the moment. It's also a prerequisite for revealing yourself and taking a leap of faith with your lover. In turn, sharing at such deep level and having it accept at least a greater self-knowledge and self-acceptance and helps you personally grow. So I'm going to sum it up now in my own words. I've been referring to this study a lot. Major component A, ultimate pleasure, yielding completely to your own sensuality during the sexual encounter. Major component B, mutual pleasure, while yielding completely to your own sensuality, intensely pleasure the other person's sensuality so that the two of you blend into a sexual symphony. Component C, emotional intimacy, complete acceptance of yourself and of each other especially when there's not mutuality in thought values, desires, and actions. In other words, I don't have to meet your standard to be accepted by you. You can accept me as I am, and I will accept you as you are. D, component D, extraordinary communication, a unique attuning to each other so that each of you can read the other accurately, understanding all forms of messaging from each other, verbal, nonverbal, and to be able to communicate on this D level requires that each of you knows what it is that you want to communicate. Major component E, being real. From the confidence of knowing and accepting yourself comes authenticity. Major component F, ultimate transformation. At this point, it's the heart, the emotional part of the mind that combines with the sensuality of the body. It's also the soul. It's the part of us that reaches beyond earthly realms that combine with the emotions and the body to create a transcendent experience. Major component G, fun exploration. As physical creatures capable of experiencing many types of physical and mental stimulation, exploration is a natural part of the human makeup. Learning new ways, no matter how minor, to stimulate one's partner or to be stimulated by one's partner As a playful dimension to sex that is quite different than that pictured by many people. And component H, which is number eight, amazing confidence. Allowing yourself to be so controlled by another during the encounter that it frees you to reach levels of passion, sensuality, and transcendence, I should say, never before imagined.
1: Hmm. All
0: right, so are you ready for that link? Let me go back over here and find it to make sure I've got it. Now, be sure to write it down exactly like I said. And you can go, and it's free. You can go, and you can download. Download. Uh, it's five steps, but it's basically a, a sensate focus process to understand more about your own sensuality and what you enjoy and to learn more about each other's sensuality and what the other person enjoys and to do it in a way where it's not pressive where it's not pushing the other person where you both can enjoy it. Now, write it down just this way. Okay. Type into your browser, like Google or Microsoft, uh, whatever you use type the, and all of these are going to be small letters. That's important. Type a letter B as in boy, I as in Italy, and T as in Tom. So B-I-T, bit. Then put a dot. Then L like in llama and Y like in yellow. So B-I-T dot L-Y. And then a forward slash. And then the word sensate. That's spelled S-E-N-S-A-T-E. Okay, so l y forward slash Sensate, S-E-N-S-A-T-E. Now, if it doesn't work like that, go ahead and put your HTTP colon forward slash forward slash in front of that. If it doesn't work that way, it'll ask you for your email address or something like that, I'm sure. Don't worry. We're not going to sell that to anybody else, and we're certainly not going to use it to do anything that will make you unhappy. But that way you can get it, and we'll be glad to, to have that in your hands for you. And hope that you do actually do those exercises. Now, we've got a lot of things going on here, and we have one caller that wants to talk to us. Let me go ahead and give our telephone number. It is 646-378-0424. That is 646-378-0424. Now, if you call in and wish to speak to me, you also, when you hear that opening menu, you need to press the number one and when you press the number one it signals me that you're there and that you would like to speak to me and I'll be glad to talk to you okay now if you don't want to speak to me you can still call that number and listen through the phone rather than through your computer if that's easier for you and if you've been listening for a while during this program and want to ask a question I think it works if you go ahead and press the number one now but just stay with me for another minute here (laughs) whenever I talk about sex I get very 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 few callers I'd love for that to change. I would love for you to actually talk to me and talk to me about sex. Now on other programs that I do, we talk about all kinds of things concerning relationships and marriage, including how to handle marriage problems. But tonight I want to talk to you about sex. And so let's see if our first caller here actually wants to do that. And this number is in, I think, uh, North Carolina. Hello, area three, three, six. You're on marriage radio. Hi. Hello. Are you there? Um, Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Do you have a question or a comment?
1: Um, Yes. I am actually wondering um, about more of the sexual dysfunction side um, from from an aspect of whether how to determine or when to make determination of whether it's physical versus emotional um, causing some type of dysfunction. Um, Okay. And whether that, my, I guess my question is really is, is whether that can be come and go, whether if, if it's a physical thing, would it be all the time or can it be just sometimes um, and not others or does that lean towards probably it's more of an emotional, psychological type of issue?
0: Well, actually, it depends on what kind of dysfunction we're talking about. Can you give me an example of the kind of dysfunction you're mentioning here?
1: Um, sometimes, um, you could consider it some type of, um, erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. where actually having difficulty in getting an erection. Um, but more so it's difficulty in achieving orgasm.
0: Okay. So sometimes ED, but more often delayed orgasm, correct?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. All right. A couple of things there, then. When when we start looking at sexual dysfunction, now understand I'm not a sex therapist. I'm a sexologist. That means I study sex and teach sex. But let me tell you how the therapist would come at this. Okay, the first thing they would say is, okay, is this situational or universal? Meaning, has it always been this way or does it happen sometimes and not others? And if I heard Mm -hmm. what you were saying a minute ago, it happens sometimes and not others. Is that what I heard Mm -hmm. you say? Okay. Yeah. Then the, the second thing they would ask would be, okay, is it with everybody or is it just with this one person? Now I'm assuming if you're talking about a marriage that hopefully there are not other people involved. And so you couldn't really answer that question, but see when they're, when they're asking that, what they're trying to find out is if it's just with one person and, and doesn't happen with others, then it can be more psychological or emotional. Okay, if it happens with everybody, then it's probably more likely to be physiological. All right. Since hopefully he's not involved with other people and just with you, then we can't really ascertain that. And then the question would become: If you were having true sexual therapy, would be okay. When was the first time talking to him? When is the first time this ever happened to you? Was it when you Mm -hmm. were twelve, or twenty-two, thirty-two, whatever? And and so if for a period of time it worked well. then you start looking for causes of why did it change now that does Mm -hmm. not necessarily mean that it's emotional it could be physiological for example um you are familiar with such products as viagra and Levitra and cialis and those kinds of things those actually uh, Viagra was actually made to help with a heart problem and they discovered (laughs) that the guys who took it who weren't able to have erections before all of a sudden get erections and what it does is it's a vasodilator. It actually opens up the blood vessels so that now more blood is going into the penis and now it can have an erection, okay? And so I said, "Wow, all right, then that was a physiological problem in all likelihood. I ran into a situation not long ago where a guy would take like three of them and then try to have sex and couldn't give an erection. He said, I took three, why doesn't it work? Well, you have so dilated the vessel that there's no pressure.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) It's, it's not, you know, so you look at, okay, is it medicinal? Is there some medicine making this happen? For example, uh, delayed orgasm for many people, particularly men delayed orgasm is often a byproduct of certain medicines such as antidepressants. And so if, if a person is on Zoloft or Paxil or Levitra or uh, Lexapro or a bunch of those kinds of things like that, um, then those are all called ssri selective serotonin reuptake reuptake inhibitors many men who are having those find it extremely difficult to have an orgasm extremely difficult
1: mm-hmm. so
0: so we'd look at okay what kind of medicines are you taking now if he's not taking any medicine whatsoever then we start looking, okay, are you overweight? Because that can definitely factor into this. Do you have a blood pressure problem you should be taking a medicine for? You look at that. And so you start excluding point by point by point possible physiological reasons. Now, once you get past that, that's when you start looking at the psychological slash emotional reasons. So let's just talk about those two different things. And by the way, I bet you didn't want this much of an answer, did you? Oh, <laughs> I'm going on I'm fine with it. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Once you get me in teacher mode, here I go. I am so sorry. Okay, when you look at it this way, erectile dysfunction, if if a man can't have an erection, uh, it can be physiological, but it also can be very much emotional. Uh, The way you can tell whether that's more emotional slash psychological is if he has strong erections when he's dreaming. When men have REM sleep, REM sleep, that's the sleep we have when we dream have erections during REM sleep. And so if he wakes up sometime in the morning with a, a good, strong, firm erection, because he wakes mm-hmm. up from, from that point of his sleep, then physiologically he's okay. And, it, and the ability to have an erection, you understand what I'm saying there?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: All right. And if, if he during REM sleep doesn't have erections, now we're talking about a physiological problem. Okay. So now we say he's got a good, a uh, strong erection and he has, problems in having the orgasm is delayed. Um, in the situation we're hypothetically talking about, how much time are we talking about before an orgasm comes, if it does? Hmm. Um, 30,
1: 45 minutes.
0: Okay. That's definitely delayed. All right. the uh, The average time, <laughs> believe it or not, between penetration and ejaculation is about three to five minutes. So, that, yeah, I remember
1: 20. That was
0: <laughs> Okay. All right. So what goes on here then is is he getting enough physical stimulation? That'd be the first question to look at, like, okay, is there enough friction on the head of the penis? Those kinds of things. And then after you look at that, then you think about okay, is he getting enough erotic sensation? In other words, is he thinking sexually? So mm-hmm. if if you were in a situation where say you were on vacation and you had a good nice dinner and, and he comes back to the hotel room after parking the car and you have changed into something extremely exotic and you have the whole room candle lit and he walks in and it's totally unique, totally different. And, and, and then he orgasms within a relatively short period of time, five to 10 minutes. Then you say, okay, what's going on here is probably enough, not enough erotic stimulation. Mm -hmm. Are you following what I'm saying there? Okay. Yes. And and uh, there, as far as I know, there are no products to increase the likelihood of orgasm coming sooner. The best potential to that is kind of twofold. Number one, more pre-intercourse stimulation. Doing more things mm-hmm. all over his body, kissing, caressing, those kinds of things. And particularly more stimulation to the head of the penis itself before the intercourse ever starts taking place because the closer he is to orgasm before you start intercourse, the greater the likelihood, particularly if for whatever reason, he's having stimulation problems once he's inside the vagina. Okay. Another okay. thing is there's actually a product out there. You can go buy it over the counter in health food stores and places like that. It's called Argin Max. I think that's spelled A-R-G-I-N-M-A-X. There's an okay. Argin Max for women. And an Argon Max for men. And don't let the guys say, oh, now we're out of the one for men, but the one for women works just the same. It does not. They're two totally different uh, formulas. And particularly with women, they've reported a lot higher satisfaction with sexuality, being able to get aroused, being able to have orgasm, et cetera, uh, when taking Argon Max. And not quite as much for men, but there's been some success with men as well. And so if. If I were going to buy organics, I'd I'd want to talk to my doctor or my pharmacist and say, is this contraindicated by anything else that I'm taking? You know, I don't want to have any problems mm-hmm. here. And if they say no, I would try something like that. So to wrap all that up, and I'm sorry I took so long, but to wrap all of that up, I would suggest, number one, try more stimulation on the penis before intercourse. Number two, try something like Argon Max, Uh, Argon Max. I think that could be a value. If that's still going on, then it might be time to actually do this thing I was just talking about. Did you happen to write down the link for that exercise? Mm -hmm.
1: Good. Try
0: that. Try that. And if all of that fails, (laughs) go to uh, Amazon.com. Look for a book called Sexual Awareness, Fifth Edition. Sexual Awareness, Fifth Edition. is by McCarthy. Sexual Awareness 5th Edition. You'll know you have the right one if you look down in the reviews and you see one of the reviews by me, okay, by Joe B. Okay. And uh, work through that book together chapter by chapter. It's outstanding. It's excellent.
1: Okay. All
0: right. Did I, <coughs> pardon me. Did I get so confused and all this stuff that I didn't answer what you asked me?
1: Nope. That, that, that is good. I mean, I think, I think we probably have a mix of different things going on. Um, uh-huh. Probably a lot of it, <laughs> some of it just age and medications, but a lot of other things, emotional going on as well. So I think it's probably a good mixture, but we just got to figure out a path through it. Um, yeah. So we will certainly try some of those things.
0: I appreciate your uh, boldness in talking to me about this. Most callers won't talk to me when I talk about sex, so thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate it.
0: Okay. You have a good evening.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. A bold lady there, but I think she's the only bold person we got here. Nobody else wants to talk to me about sex. All right. You understand that link? B-I-T dot L-Y slash Sensate. That's where you can get that exercise. I hope this program has been of value to you, and we'll see you again next week.